Welcome to Stuck in Development, the podcast where two media strategy nerds dissect what's developing in the world of entertainment. I'm your host, Carl, and not with me, though he's usually with me, is Eitan Rivera-Shine. Instead, I have my wife, Alex, on. Hi. So this is your second time on the show, right? That's right. Okay. Uh, you were here for the Movie Paths saga, right? Yes. Okay. Remember recording that at the University of Tennessee? Yeah. A long time ago. We had a, the system we used was much worse than this one, so I'm glad that you've had some technological advancements since then. Oh, yes. Uh, though we, we do have a different room tone tonight. We were <laughs> in our living room and uh-huh. not uh, in my office as per usual, so sorry for the echo. I don't know. This will probably be a worse edited episode, too, because I can't edit around two people talking over each other. Not that advanced, but... Yes, thank you. Uh, so, yeah, usually Aton and I would be digging into the I don't know, disaster that seems to be Warner Discovery yet again right now. So many news stories around TCM executives being laid off, Paul Thomas Anderson, Steven Spielberg, Martin Scorsese frantically calling David Zaslav to try and fix things, whatever. We're not going to talk about that this week. Partially because I want to save that for Aton, but partially because, I don't know, I just want to talk about movies because I've had a great week in movies and TV. It's actually probably going to be more TV. So Alex and I are going to do a joint, I don't know, do you, did you know that we have a section where we just say, wow, is the uh, title? I did. Okay, yes. So we're going to do a oops all wow episode. I won't say that again. Cool. All right. So what have we been watching? We've been watching a lot of TV. We did not have a production meeting before we started recording. So we had The Bear. What else? Halt and Catch Fire. Halt and Catch Fire has been kind of our daily, like, what? We choose one show at a time typically, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we've been alternating. I know I've talked about Girls and Mad Men on here recently. It's where we're at with Halt and Catch Fire right now. Um, it's always sunny. It's always sunny. Yeah, we're keeping up with stuff live. The other two, Black Mirror, and we saw the new Wes Anderson movie. Mm-hmm. And you've written a 150-page dissertation in the last month and a half. So. Very true. Yeah. Do you want to talk about that on here? I don't. Okay. <laughs> Do you ever want to talk about it on here? <laughs> uh, maybe when I'm not right in the middle of it. Fair enough. I understand. Um, cool. Okay. So... We'll hold off on Asteroid City. At first, I was like going to be say, let's do an exploration of Wes Anderson. We could. We could. I think we should talk about him a little bit later. Uh, But let's dig into the shows first. Um, Halt and Catch Fire. I don't know. Quick thoughts. Like, we're just hitting the second season. Things are getting good. I don't know. What What are your vibes so far on it? You've mentioned a couple times that the show takes a big um, sort of left turn between the first two seasons where it shakes up sort of who the um, characters with the most focus on them are. The first season really focuses on the two men that are at the center of the show, played by Lee Pace and Scoot McNary, but the second season really focuses a lot more on the two women um, kind of at the center of the plot, Scoop McNary's wife played by 
Carrie Bichet. Carrie Bichet. <laughs> and then also the um, character Cameron, played by Mackenzie Davis. Um, I think that, as you've said to me, the show made a wise decision to shift that focus because the two uh, female characters are a lot more interesting. Um, and so I've been liking the show more because of that. It's also shifted a little bit from kind of what's the crisis of the week and what are all the crazy things that the cast is going to have to do to solve it, sort of like Silicon Valley style, um, over to kind of a more emotionally interesting and less sort of monster of the week-y um, narrative structure, which is nice too. So yeah, I've been enjoying it. Yeah, for the record, Halt to Catch Fire is on a new streaming show you haven't heard of if you don't know about it. Most people don't. It's this a- AMC show that, I don't know, it's part of that era of AMC shows. If you were lucky enough to watch Mad Men or Breaking Bad live, there was always a, a jockeying of attention for what would come on after those shows. So AMC tried a lot. Nothing really worked until Walking Dead, and then AMC just became the Walking Dead network. But for a while, there were so many weird shows. Like, my favorite was Low Winter Sun. Just looks like nothing. Looks like watching paint dry. Just, there were ads for it all the time. You had this one called Turn about uh, the Revolutionary War. And Halt and Catch Fire was one of these. And the first season is very much like a Mad Men kind of ripoff, I would say, of just mysterious guy comes to Dallas and wants to build a personal computer, and he rides on his charisma. But really, the show gets really interesting the the later few seasons, and I've just always really responded to it. And like you mentioned, like the the turn it makes in the second season just makes it a much more interesting and original show than the first season. So I've been enjoying showing it to you. Great. Yeah. All right, let's get to contemporary stuff, though. Okay, so The Bear. Um... The best show on TV right now? Uh, <laughs> certainly one of the best shows on TV right now. I I think in terms of, there's like new crops of shows, right? Like I feel like Succession in my mind is like of an older era of television, even though it's really not that old, right? Whereas I feel like now we have this kind of new modern ecosystem of shows that are like the big good shows on TV, right? You've got The Bear... And I think of the other dramas that I'm interested in right now, I haven't seen Yellow Jackets. I would like to, but I think Severance is probably, I'm more hyped out, out of the first season of Severance than I am out of the first season of The Bear. But that said, some of the best episodes of TV I've seen in years, We in the second season. You and I binged the first season in like, I think literally one day. Yeah. And we showed uh, slightly more restraint this time. I think we binged it in three days. Um, but it's just really addictive. And some of the best character development I've seen on TV in a long time. Amazing use of a pretty big cast. Amazing use of the characters that would be like my more minor side characters in other shows like they really spotlight kind of everybody and use everyone really well and just like genuinely sweet moments of um character evolution throughout the season and 
wow, the like centerpiece episode where you watch um, a flashback to the main character um, having a holiday dinner with his family that turns into a really traumatic evening. Um, just like incredible television. Yeah, I, the bear for me, it's, I mean, it's about cooking and I love cooking. I am not into as into fine dining as I would, I would like, but uh, uh, they require tens of thousands of more dollars than I have in order to be that into the fine dining aspect of it. Anyway, I read a lot of cookbooks. I am really just interested in that and, you know, I guess my personal life outside of what you know from listening to me. Um, but it's always fun just like watching and learning about like how this world works and getting this very pop version of it that's that's fun to engage with and I think it just it takes a very fun approach to food and cuisine where it's you always say it's high culture low culture right Mm -hmm. where it's like they recognize good food but they also recognize that good service and great food take a lot more than just executing something once it's about repetition it's about creating this machinery it's about efficiency it's about management i don't know the second season got into a lot of really interesting specifics that i had not really seen portrayed before it was a a lot of fun great television that's all i have to say (laughs) For, for me it's also like i've never quite got this with the office or parks and rec but i just like hanging out with the characters definitely I just like seeing what they're doing and watching them exist in space. It It is, at its essence, a workplace TV show, yeah. like those other ones, but the workplace is a lot more chaotic and interesting, I think. So, standout performer from this season? Uh, <laughs> I don't know the guy's name. I, we, we have this Be, issue. And it's, it's terrible because... Girls is one of my all-time favorite shows, and this character is one of those, or this actor is one of those actors for me who will always be defined by one particular role, uh, which is the first thing I saw him in, which was he played the character Desi in Girls, and so anytime I see him in anything else, I just call him Desi, and so forgive me for not uh, knowing his name, but... You just looked it up, Carl, so go ahead. Uh, it is Ivan Mas Bachrach. Ah. Uh, yes, we just call him Desi in our house. <laughs> he will always be Desi. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he was the standout performer of this season to me, for sure. His character went through so many changes, and he was, like, selling every iteration of the character. So, what about you? Yeah, I, I agree. I think Ao Edibiri is excellent yes. throughout and she is every time I see her so I loved her performance in this but I think it was gro- building upon last season whereas Yvonne's performance was one note kind of one note last season but I think by design uh, I just really interesting actor I also like I saw him in Andor last year as well just I'm excited every time I see him and just call him Desi so <laughs> Also, fun fact, apparently he is a bellboy in the Royal Tenenbaums. Oh. Too so. bad that's not a good segue, but... I know. <laughs> it's... It, yeah, I don't... Put a say. pin in that one. Exactly. 
Uh, so yeah. Okay. Uh, something I've been super out on for like years. Black Mirror. Oh yeah. Yeah. The last season was rough. Um, the Striking Vipers episode was really boring. The Smithereens episode was also pretty boring. And the Miley Cyrus episode, the best thing I can say about it is that it's in-universe song that Miley Cyrus sings is an absolute banger. Um, but other than, And she gives a good performance, but other than that, it's a pretty messy, chaotic episode that just, like, doesn't add up to much. And that was the whole thing. So, um, you know, they were on pause, the show was on pause for a number of years, and they've now put out a new season. Um, it's sort of the, you know, buzzy water cooler thing to be watching right now. And so in that spirit, Carl and I watched the first episode, um, which we both loved. It has so many interesting resonant themes for right now. Um, it's, is this a spoiler free show? I mean, just say that you're going to spoil it. First of all, call out what the name of the episode is. Oh, Joan is terrible or something? Awful. Oh, okay. Uh, so, I'll just skip ahead. Like, or I'll just, if you don't want to hear spoilers for this, skip ahead like 30 seconds. It, it, this is a very vague spoiler. Yeah. Its use of AI is really interesting. That's yeah. all I'll say. Yeah. Um, and we both really enjoyed it a lot. We both love the... Um, the lead of that episode who uh, plays the daughter in Schitt's Creek and is great. Um, and then we skipped over the second episode, not for any particular reason, just that Carl was excited to watch the Aaron Paul in space episode, which we both loved as well. Um, and it was a very, it, I mean, it was, it's an hour and 20 minutes long. It's basically a film. It's sort of feature length and it was incredibly emotionally resonant and, again, used its technology, used the technology at the center of it in a really interesting way. So, I mean, I feel like I got to say Black Mirror's back, baby. <laughs> I'm not going to go that far, sight <laughs> unseen. So I, I've been much more out of Black Mirror than you. I, I definitely didn't watch anything for the last season and didn't finish the previous season. And we were both, we were both like OG Black Mirror, like by OG Black Mirror, pre-Netflix Black Mirror. I think I watched it on Amazon Prime. I can't remember who watched what first. We were just, we were friends back then. We didn't watch it together. I, I think, so we looked up who wrote Joan is Awful after we watched it. And I was astounded to learn that Char Charlie Booker has written almost every episode of this show because that astounds me seeing the, the the dip in quality over the last few seasons. I, I think it's also just a quantity over quality sort of issue for the show too. But that said, I enjoyed the first episode. I haven't really thought about it since watching it. I think it was a fun watch. Um, yeah, but the the second one. Well, it's the third one. Third one. The second one we watched called uh, Beyond the Sea. Yes. With Aaron Paul and some person Josh you told me from the thousands. Josh jo Hartnett. Who is who again? 
he was a kind of heartthrob. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, like late teens, early twenties, heartthrob in the early aughts, uh, was in like Pearl Harbor and other stuff like that. Yeah. My V chip was probably turned up too low, turned down too low. So I couldn't watch whatever he was in. He was kind of a himbo a little bit. Mm. I'd say. I've always been perversely interested in Pearl Harbor. Have you seen it? No. Like, it seems so boring. It seems like what people think Titanic is. Mm. Oh, yeah. Uh, By the way, I've just been, like, on a huge James Cameron, like, thinking about him kick lately. Half of, watched Half of the Abyss, watched T2. I talked about it on here. I'm just uh, spiraling out about James Cameron and... The uh, Titan disaster has not been helping that. So let's not get too wrapped up in okay. the James Cameron let's, thing. Let's come, let's come back. Let's come back. Anyway, um, actually, that's a, a, a thing we did not mention about the third episode. The really important thing for me. So as you mentioned, it's oh. future length, and we're watching it, and I'm really in, in, impressed by some of the directing and editing choices in it and think, huh, this is, this is interesting. This is well-directed and decided to look up who it is. And it was John Crowley, best known for not Brooklyn, but directing a little 2019 masterpiece called The Goldfinch. So I uh, was really excited to see that pop up. Uh, also, I liked Kate Mara for the first time, like ever, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And she was good. And I liked Mr. Pearl Harbor too. So. <laughs> oh, I, I, what I was going to say about Pearl Harbor, just fascinated by the Bay thing. Mm-hmm. Like it seems boring, but also Michael Bay made it. So is it boring and poorly made, but also big explosions? Like kind that's, of tempting. That's what I get. I'm guessing. Yeah. Um, so TLDR on the new season of Black Mirror, although we've only seen two episodes, if you've been put off by their output lately definitely give it a try because it is a market improvement from a lot of the stuff they've put out prior to now so so i uh, have a segue Mm -hmm. to wes anderson from this which is we're not done with tv oh we're not done with tv no we have to okay well let me let me throw off another segue that's just gonna get wasted then (laughs) so the segue was gonna be about how Black Mirror is kind of the, the best modern attempt at capturing the Twilight Zone. Right. Right, and the energy of it. Including the Twilight Zone reboot. <laughs> Including all three reboots of the Twilight Zone. Yes. Uh, we Did you watch any of the Jordan Peele ones? I did, but it was yeah. not interesting. I watched the one with... Um, Deadpool's girlfriend, who's in that show V that I liked. Anyway, we're getting a little bit... And uh, I watched... Here. The Kumail one was good, but okay. beyond that. Anyway... We just have tangents here. <laughs> you you don't need to be d- directing it. We're, we're going to get there when we get there. Okay. Okay. But the, uh, just basically Twilight Zone to whatever the hell Brian Cranston is doing in the, the Asteroid City being kind of Twilight Zone-y. Yeah, okay. That's yeah. a good one. He's trying to be Rod Serling, but also, I don't know, the voice of God, maybe? All right. Anyway. That's Back pinned. That's pinned Wes Anderson tangent number two. Okay. I think you should just try to keep generating. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna every every time. <laughs> uh, did I miss any Halt and Catch Fire? It's uh, always sunny, and the other two are the other shows that we are yeah, watching we as they're coming out. We'll just say make a brief mention of each. Was no, which we is... can talk about them. I okay. just forgot to bring them up. 
It's Always Sunny is excellent as usual. Um, I don't know that there's anything particularly notable about this season. It's one net, one slightly negative thing I'll say is that a, quite a few of the leads have gotten clearly bad <laughs> plastic surgery uh, recently, which is like a little bit distracting. Um, but the content is just incredible as always. And Oh, I guess the one really notable thing about this season so far is that we got some, like, n- we got some more uh, sort of, like, Charlie backstory lore because we met his two sisters, who I don't think we even knew existed prior to the episode. Um, that was, I believe, in the second episode of the season. Um, and so that's always fun to see a little bit more of the of the. Uh, main cast's past um, come through, so I enjoyed that. Um, but other than that, I don't know. What do you think, Carl? It's just such a consistently good yeah. show that there's almost not that much to say about it. You, you're the one who got me into Always Sunny, and yeah. it is such a... I feel the same way watching It's Always Sunny that I feel watch, when we watched the season of Curb together, where... I was so impressed by it and, and just so like, amused every week and am so amused every week watching it. Mm-hmm. And then realize, oh, not everyone's watching this, but I'm glad that it exists and I'm glad I get to watch it and I'm so excited to talk about it with people that are watching it mm-hmm. because it is so consistently good. Shout out to my sister, Brett, who I don't think listens to this, but is the biggest Sunny fan that we know. Yeah. I uh, coasted on buying her Danny DeVito as Frank... Reynolds merch for the first multiple Christmases and birthdays of our relationship, probably. Hey, it was great. It always worked. Uh, but no, I, I like it. I last season they did try to go kind of more serialized right. for a little bit, which you know, just wacky COVID experiment. It happens. I also really liked it. I thought it was actually quite emotional and interesting. What I they did, did too. last season. But it is nice just to see just chaos at Patty's pub. Chaos of the week. Yeah. Just like, I the reason another reason I invoke Curb Your Enthusiasm is because it has the same sort of energy as a Larry David show, where right. just they evolve but never change mm-hmm. and never learn, and just entertainingly bad people. The in both in both shows, what it, what becomes the inciting incident of the episode is never what you think it's going to be. Mm-hmm. And it's always subverting you for the first, like, five minutes. For sure. Such a funny show. It's just, like I said, so consistently good, they don't miss at this point. No. So, that yeah, that's what I have to say. It's It continues to be great. I also was going to bring up the plastic surgery. <laughs> did not, uh, like, one, one cast member's plastic surgery is so noticeable and strange that it appears that they make a joke with prosthetics to make you think that maybe it didn't happen. Strange. Very strange. And then on to probably your favorite thing that we're watching right now, the other two. That's my vote for the best thing on TV. Sure. So you introduced that. So I have been a fan of Drew Tarver (laughs) since 2017 when I visited Los Angeles for the first time. And a little old me and my friend Brooke went to the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater 
I do not remember which one of the two it was. It was the one across from the Scientology Center. And I saw the funniest person I have ever seen in my life perform. And that was Drew Tarver. I saw him riff on what was it, The Beguiled for like half an hour as part of this. And it was great. I, it was just so funny, so charismatic, and just fully committed to everything he was doing. Hot. And hot. Yeah, that too. So I, I was just... I very quickly learned that he was supposed to be in the pilot of How I Met Your Father with Greta Gerwig as the two leads. So would love to see them in an alternate universe play, play off each other, but I'm really happy that neither of them has wasted the last seven years of their life on that. Mm-hmm. That said, the other two, it's about the two 30-something... Vaguely entertainment industry children or siblings of a kid who becomes an overnight YouTube music sensation. Essentially Justin Bieber's life story. Basically, what if Justin Bieber had two siblings that were also trying to work in entertainment and just had never hit? And had been struggling to make it in the industry for years and then their brother, their teenage brother blew up overnight. And the the first season is very much about the emotions of that and then trying to figure out what they want to do with their life. Second season is very much actualization of trying to, you know, piggyback off their brother's success and maybe even their mother's success to figure out their own career. Cement their careers. Exactly. And the third season, I think is the best season of the show just in every way. But as Drew Tarver's villain arc. Yes, exactly. Light spoilers. Carrie, who's played by the character played by Drew Tarver, is just getting increasingly fame obsessed and sinister and just moral rot is going on um, as he tries to, you know, cement his career in in film. So that's a very entertaining and insane plotline to witness. And his sister, Brooke, the other lead, is sort of doing the opposite. She's trying to figure out how she can do good using the industry and is at every turn sort of um, subverted in doing in trying to do so. Yeah, I, so the, she's played by Helena York and both of those two are just killing it this season. Uh, my favorite performer of the main cast is actually Molly Shannon this season. I think she's had a lot to work with, and she plays their mother, who has become a celebrity in her own right and is dealing with that. And just this, the satire of the other two has always been, I think, pitch-perfect satire of the entertainment industry. But this season is just really captures how chaotic and strange the entertainment industry has become in the post-COVID, post-TikTok. Ultra-woke. Ultra-woke, Disney-fied world. Um, There's lots of, like, really specific and by-name digs at Disney this season that I think I'm impressed to see a show even try to to pull off. Uh, Just delightful show. Just so funny. I think we've been watching that and... It's always sunny, kind of back to back because they premiere on the same night now, and just it's a great like hour of of laughter. 
Yeah, hard recommend on the other two. If you haven't heard of it or seen it, you're not the only one. I think it's a it's on HBO Max or I guess Max now. Um, and they are definitely not promoting it enough. And it's definitely not being talked about enough. So um, seek it out if you haven't. It's so entertaining and it's definitely the most timely thing on TV right now. Um, it's Always Sunny is has also in recent years been a very, very timely show. Um, but the other two is sort of even more so. So, yeah. yeah. You also get to see uh, the hottest actor on television, <laughs> Josh Segarra, who plays Lance Arroyo, a hot nurse. So if you need some other reason to watch it, watch it for my boy Lance. <laughs> All right. I think that's a pretty good coverage of TV. Um, as far as film, you... you have mentioned a few times now Asteroid City, um, but we've seen quite a few new releases in the last couple weeks, so yeah. we can sort of cover those and um, give, you know, a do we recommend, do we not recommend for each one. Uh, for the record, before I started, we've started recording, I told Alex, we'll figure out what we're talking about on air, and I made quick notes of three bullet points, the bear, Asteroid oh. City, and Black Mirror. So that is why, in my head, I was like, those are the three things. Okay. But yes, I also want to talk about things like past lives. Right. Spider-Verse. Spider-Verse, which, did I mention Spider-Verse on the show? I think I did briefly. You hurt my feelings. You hurt my feelings, which I did mention. Um, oh, I saw The Flash. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Loved, would love to talk about Master Gardener for a second. Yeah. And then we don't really ha- have to go back further than that, so. Cool. Okay, so... How about you give your quick thoughts on like what you what you want to talk about with those? Just go through all of them. So yeah, just okay. just do hurt my feelings, Spider Verse, Past Lives, and then we'll dig into Asteroid City a little deeper. Okay. Um. So my, I as far as films this year, um, the top spot on my 2023 list is still holding at Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret which Carl has already probably talked about on the show because we saw it a little while ago. But it's it's just a perfectly executed film. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a, the, you know, the film always has you right where it wants you emotionally. It's a very emotional film. Um, And it's just so sweet, so perfect, so well done that it's hard to not think that it's you know, the top for this year so far. Um, we, we also just loved Kelly Fremont Craig's previous film, The Edge of Seven. That's very true. It was the first movie we ever saw together in a theater, I think. It is. So that's fun. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just doing exactly what it needs to do. It's a perfectly executed thing. So that's, um, that's my number one still. Um, my number two is a much more messy, weird but also but much more like sort of tailored to me and my interest and taste film, which is Master Gardener. Um, Don't think we've even mentioned it on the show. Okay, so, great. Yeah. Um, it's Paul Schrader's newest film, um, who, you know, you might know as that crazy old man from Facebook. <laughs> um, but... There, there are a lot of crazy old men on Facebook, that's unfortunately. Very true. So that doesn't really specify. Sure. Um... He is, as I'm sure most listeners of the show probably know, the writer of Taxi Driver um, and has become 
a filmmaker in his own right. His most three, his most recent three films, um, First Reformed, The Card Counter, and Master Gardener. I've absolutely loved all of them. Um, the he, Man in a, in a Room trilogy is what he calls them. <laughs> yeah, I think that's what you said. Um, he is riffing in the in these three films. He's riffing on this um, theme developed by Robert Bresson or Bresson, however you say his last name, um, the filmmaker, which is this idea of God's lonely man, this very uh, sort of existential uh, male figure who is grappling with the anxieties of living in the world and um, is often a religious character um, and is his, you know, thoughts and his anxieties um, and his dreams are very much often, like, informed by spirituality, um, which is catnip for me. And it's just, you know, the struggle of trying to live as sort of a moral person in the world. Um, And, yeah, so his newest Master Gardener is about um, a man very light spoilers, um, who has a violent past, I won't say of what kind, um, and works as a horticulturist at a, um, botanical garden, which is also, like, the coolest job I could imagine, and I love just, like, watching him at work and watching him talk about flowers. Joel Edgerton is the lead, a guy who, before I watched this movie, um, I could never remember who he was, um, (laughs) But now that I've seen Master Gardener, he's very much been cemented in my mind as a great actor. So, so someone who I I really had that experience until I saw Jeff Nichols Loving, a film that you haven't seen. Mm. But just after seeing that, him and Ruth Nega were just two actors that I was like, wow, I'm so excited to see what you do next. And unfortunately, the answer has been not much, but they are both great. And he's great in this. So that's my number two of the year. Um, it's... It's definitely, like, a more me film than Are You There, Got It To Me, Margaret, but it um, is not just, like, a perfect object like Margaret is. So that's that's why Margaret still has the top spot. Um, Past Lives is my number three of the year, um, which Carl and I just recently saw. Uh, it is about a... It's about sort of this interesting tri- triangle that develops between a woman... Um, and her husband and a man who she met like decades ago as a child in Korea and um, got back in touch with after she moved um, to Canada and then lost touch with again. And they've just fallen in and out of touch um, with each other for the past few decades, kind of like a missed connections type of thing. And so he comes to New York where she lives um, they're both adults and she's married and um, she and her husband are kind of working through like how to deal with that situation. Um, it's a incredible film, um, very much more in my realm of things, more so than Carl's, um, because it's a very talky, uh, sort of like very emotionally subtle um exploration like character study uh, on these people and their relationships and things like that like 
moving a little bit toward more towards like mumblecore slice of life type of stuff, which is my bread and butter, but Carl doesn't like quite as much, understandably. So um I quite enjoyed it. Um my the main uh negative point of it for me was that the uh lead, who's the woman who's sort of like in the center of this triangle, she was the least interesting character of the three and she got by far the most screen time. Um I thought the two men were both really excellent. Um, the Her husband is played by the lead of First Cow, which is another similar kind of talky, soft, sweet um, kind of character study film. Carl, what's his name? Uh, John Lajaro. Thank you. Um, and then I thought actually the best performance out of the three was um, the man who uh, she had left behind when she was a child. He's a Korean actor um, named T.O.U. Uh, he just gives such a tender, sweet, like kind of achingly romantic performance that I was just in love with him. And he is so handsome, too. So that obviously helps. Um, and yeah, I just thought it was an interesting film about a very, very tricky kind of interpersonal situation that was dealt with with a lot of honesty and a lot of um a lot of it just rang very true to me I guess um it really seemed like how the situation might play out if it happened to real people which I always like in a movie so loved that so yeah Carl what did you think of Margaret Master Gardener and Past yeah. Lives uh so I Aton and I are both on record uh loving Margaret okay great so you can skip that one yes so we we love it great movie um, it is, I think, my second of the year, um, and it was until Asteroid City, which I think is my favorite of the year. I'll sure. Get to it. Um, and then Master Gardener is my fourth, but was afraid being third, which you have further down. Mm-hmm. Um, we both are in agreement that that's a messy, complicated movie, but I've responded to it even more strongly than you did. Yes. So, but that's it. I reservedly like it i think it's quite an impressive film but just not there there's too much like mess with it for me to really i like my stuff sort of tied up perfectly in a neat little bow and that movie definitely does not do that (laughs) that might come up later (laughs) um i mean you do but you also like master gardener is complex and strange like it's you're right it's narratively simple you're right but there's a lot a lot of weird stuff going on in there. You're right. I guess that's selling myself short. Yes. But I, I do think it's... It's above my... Bo's Afraid is above my mess tolerance level. Yes. I'll just say that. I, I think of of the three most recent Schraders, Mastercard is probably the simplest. Yeah. Yeah, like just narratively and even emotionally. Yeah. But that that's not diminishing it. I actually found that to be rewarding. Me too. I, I, it was kind of nice watching something that was not as stressful as mm-hmm. the previous two. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the card counter literally throws you off a grave in fisheye lens for 10 minutes, and that's some of the most disorienting stuff I've ever seen. So mm-hmm. this movie being sedate and chill is good and you know, kind of ironic, given stuff that we won't spoil here. Sure. Right. And then uh, Past Lives. And then Past Lives. I, I really liked I Overall... I think it was an impressive directorial review debut. 
I liked it more than I, I feel similarly about the direction as I did with how to blow up a pipeline. Okay. Where just like walked out of that being like, whoever made that, like, damn, I'm excited to see what they do next. Mm-hmm. That said, past lives also really did like the screenplay. Like very mm-hmm. good. To your point, it's not my speed necessarily. Right. And you felt it was a little slight, right? I, I did. Like the, what I told you was I, I just never swooned mm-hmm. and I wanted to swoon. I definitely did. I cried five times. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just, it just didn't hit me. Um, the way that say, um, a film like, I mean, this is the swooningest film of this genre, but something like In the Mood for Love. Sure. Right? Which is sweeping cinematic and epic in its scope in a way that this isn't trying to be. Sure. Um, yeah. But I, I did like it quite a bit. I think all the performances were great. I think it was beautifully made. And I'm excited to see what Slim Song does next. Awesome. And then I, just very briefly before we turn yeah. to the main event, which was Asteroid City, um, Two films further down my list, but that I thought were both quite good were You Hurt My Feelings and um, the new Spider-Verse movie. Mm-hmm. Um, you Hurt My Feelings is similar to Past Lives in that it's this kind of quiet, um, minimal kind of character drama um, about a woman who is a writer and overhears her husband um, saying that he doesn't like her new book and it just kind of deconstructs, you know, like what the impact that that has on their relationship and how they process that event with each other and things like that. I love films about um, very, very longstanding relationships, films about couples that have been married for decades are some of my favorite movies. Um, And I just think that the, emotional complexities of um being so intimate with somebody for that long and kind of like how that changes a relationship that's one of my favorite themes to explore in art um and so I I liked it quite a bit uh it just didn't you know bowl me over in the same way that past lives did um and then into the spider-verse um I didn't quite like it as much as the first one um there was it's, it's a bit of a mess um, in that there's just a lot going on. Um, and the art and the visuals are absolutely stunning, but weren't as revolutionary maybe as I as a lot of other people thought they were. Um, that I had the reaction to this to the first one that a lot of people had to this one. Um, I still think it's you know quite interesting and inventive, of course. Um, but it just, I don't know, it didn't markedly improve upon the first film in really any way. I think it has kind of a sequel, just a normal sequel problem um, that a lot of other people who watched it, like, didn't think it had. But um, I'm so glad it got made. It's it's a really, really interesting film. It's obviously, you know, so good for animation to have things like this being made. So, um, but just, yeah, a little for even further down my list than you hurt my feelings, so. Carl? Yeah. Well, I don't know if I I spoke about You Hurt My Feelings. I did like it quite a bit. I love Julia Louis-Dreyfus. Generally, uh, we had a fight right before seeing it, and it was a good sell for that, despite the premise seeming like it would be the worst film to possibly see after that. It was good, you know? (laughs) Um, Spider-Verse, they heard my thoughts last week. Cool. Pretty similar. Page to you. Okay, great. Now, 
Okay. So, Wes Anderson. Okay. Where were you at with Wes Anderson yeah. going into this movie? Yeah. And, like, kind of what's your Wes Anderson journey? For sure. Um, so, I think the first Wes Anderson film I ever saw was Moonrise Kingdom. Um, my ex-boyfriend, the man that I dated for uh, a few years, mostly in college, before Carl and I got together, um, introduced it to me. And I was really interested by it visually, but narratively, uh, the film didn't really grab me. Um, But I was so enamored. I mean, I'm sure most of us remember the first time we saw a Wes Anderson film, you're just so blown away by like the, the novelty of, wow, he's really making this completely new and like cohesive world. I think that that is such an, it gives you such an overwhelming impression um, when you see it for the first time that you almost can't help but like be curious and want to see more. And that's definitely how it was for me. Um, So Moonrise Kingdom was intriguing, but didn't, I guess, like get me there. Um, And then, you know, I looked him up on the internet, looked at what his most acclaimed film was. And it seemed to me at that time to be the Royal Tenenbaums. And I sought that out and watched it, I believe by myself and was just completely blown away. Um, And for me, Wes Anderson has never topped Royal Tenenbaums. Um, and frankly, I don't know if he can or will. So, in my mind. Yeah, so. I think it's a, he's a different filmmaker than he was then. Sure. For better and for worse. Um, so, Royal Tenenbaums, just a, you know, 10 out of 10, like, capital M masterpiece perfect film. Um so emotionally on point you are really dialed in emotionally to you know the what the characters are going through so many emotional beats just like hit perfectly right um visuals incredible um you love arrested development yeah kind of vaguely riffing on those vibes right there's that famous quote that um Royal Tenenbaums is, I mean, Arrested Development is the Royal Tenenbaum shot like cops, which is a great quote and I think totally accurate. Um, yeah, just those themes of like, you know, struggling with what it means to be both a parent and a child, um, mm-hmm. those journeys for different characters and, you know, grappling with privilege and, um, grappling with you know career versus family and what it means to be a successful person but also like nurture your family and you know like is that a possibility and just a lot of interesting themes so many memorable characters so many moments that are just like burned into my brain um you know like Margot with the makeup and like the leopard coat and the cigarettes and all of that stuff just so iconic um and Gene Hackman giving one of the best performances ever for sure though maybe only second to the conversation i would say though probably his second best performance by our measure which is wild to say but, but would be like many characters many actors best performance it is one far. of the funniest performances agreed yeah so just a perfect movie um so after that i was hooked on you know trying to see as much wes anderson as i could um and i watched a few of his other films i um the aforementioned X and I saw Grand Budapest Hotel together in theaters, and 
that was amazing. Didn't top Royal Tenenbaums, but was like definitely up there. Uh, saw Life Aquatic, I believe with you, Carl. That was the second movie we saw. Okay. Um, uh, the first one we ever saw at the Texas Theater. Great. Yeah, that one was fabulous. Loved it. Um, and then, you know, there was the... After I saw Grand Budapest Hotel in theaters, I saw all of his um, successive films in theaters as well. Saw Isle of Dogs in theaters. Saw um, French Dispatch in theaters. And then now saw Asteroid City in theaters. I have been extremely underwhelmed by his recent output. Um, Isle of Dogs was cute, but just kind of a snooze. Um, and you love Fantastic And I Mr. love Fantastic Mr. Fox. So I, you know, even though I'm like a person who's very put off by stop motion, <laughs> um, <laughs> Fantastic Mr. Fox is just like undeniably perfect. And he, so I, that's not to say that I don't like Wes Anderson's animation, but Isle of Dogs was just like a bore, a pretty like terrific snooze. Um, and then French Dispatch was just such a, also such an underwhelming film. Um, I think that the structure really does a lot to um, lessen the film's impact. I think that watching... Wes Anderson already holds his characters sort of at a remove from both himself and from the audience. And so by not following, you know, one or several characters over the course of the whole, whole film by like, having this vignette structure where you only are getting invested in the characters and the plot for like almost like a few minutes. Um, I thought that really lessened the impact of all of the stories. There was also like a lot of uneven acting. Um, Wes Anderson's actors all do like the thing. If you've seen a Wes Anderson movie, you know what I'm talking about. Like his, all of his actors act the same as each other in all his films. And they, uh, Timothy Chalamet just like was not able to do the thing. And it, that was like very distracting. And I just couldn't get invested really in any of the stories or in any of the characters. And so it was just like a big letdown for me. Um, and then Asteroid City ultimately like to give my sort of TLDR take, um, had the same issues for me as the French Dispatch did. It was, I thought that the kind of nesting structure with like these different meta textual sort of levels um, that were going on really abstracted the film a lot. And similarly to the vignette structure in French Dispatch just distanced me from what was going on quite a bit. I just sort of couldn't care about any of the characters or, you know, like their emotional journeys. There was nothing that I latched onto emotionally. And it just similarly ended up being like a pretty big snooze for me. I did actually fall asleep in the theater for like five minutes at one point. <laughs> um, but the visuals were some of Wes Anderson's most interesting um, and most incredible, most beautiful, most fascinating that I've seen in a long time. He created a really interesting world with, um, with this film, but just narratively and thematically and from a character perspective, it just like didn't do much for me. Um, and like I said, I think that was largely in part due to the structure of it, just kind of like not working for me and abstracting me as a viewer too much from what was going on. So that was my take. Um, Definitely a pan for me, but I will 
continue to see Wes Anderson's movies um, just in, you know, hopes that he will deliver me the highs of, <laughs> uh, you know, Royal Tenenbaums or um, Life Aquatic again one day. But um, this was unfortunately just sort of a continuation of the recent trend for me of his movies not doing a lot for me. So Carl had a completely different experience and I'm so thrilled that he did. And lots of people did. I, when I was looking at the critical response to this film, I was, I'm definitely in the minority. So this is not at all a, um, this is not at all a call for anyone listening to not see the film. First of all, you have to see the film. It's a new Wes Anderson film. It's a cultural event, you know? <laughs> but besides that, uh, take my comments very much at face value because um, people really loved this film in a way that I just couldn't connect with. So, Carl? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm very vocally on the same page with you about French Dispatch. I think the structure really is poorly services. The movie I think the structure poorly serves the movie partially just because I think you're right that the acting is uneven and the tone's uneven Mm -hmm. with it the vignettes are also just like wildly different in a way that's not good right like there's like a three minute one of Owen Wilson riding a bike (laughs) like it's like a bad Portlandia sketch I did forget to mention the one vignette that you and I both did really respond to so definitely cover that yes I mean that is the thing. I yeah. probably said it on here that I think the uh, prison cell, art, the cell block art vignette is just among the best filmmaking of Wes Anderson's career. Works really, really well. It's beautiful looking. It's really interesting. I think Leia Sadu and Benicio. Benicio really convey a lot in their performances. I think Leia is very much the Margot Tenenbaum Gwyneth portrayal of just like subtle modulation mm-hmm. is actually what's working. And this like emotionally removed kind of femme fatale character, but that, but who still has kind of softness. Right. And like you and I were speaking yesterday about Benicio being a strange choice for Anderson. I mean, he, apparently he's going to be starring in Anderson's next movie or next feature. He did do the thing. Though. But he did do the thing. Mm-hmm. And it's, but he's such a, I guess similarly would be Gold, Jeff Goldblum. Like they're both they're both actors where they're both so strange and chaotic. Yes. And how they work and their characters are always just it's kind of like when Brad Pitt does comedy where it's just like there's like a million things going on for some reason and Benicio's so controlled in that role and very still in that role. I would say Jeff Goldblum's like wacky weirdness is has sort of a similar timbre to Wes Anderson's weirdness, that's though. That's true. So yes, I think that's a better like chaos. It just match. feel like weird non sequiturs, like yeah. Wes Anderson can feel. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but overall, same page. We, I love Royal Tenenbaums. Uh, you do not like Rushmore because you think <gasps> Jason Schwartzman's really gross. Sorry for like forgetting so many Wes Anderson films. <laughs> um, I forgot to mention Darjeeling Limited and Fantastic Mr. Fox and Rushmore. I. Rushmore, I absolutely hate because Jason Schwartzman is so disgusting in that, that it just like sends chills down my spine. And I do not buy his like precocious teen act being like lovable or endearing at all. It's just like, he's so, so creepy and gross to me. You have the exact 
same. You used to hate the social network for the same reason because you hated Eisenberg mm-hmm. in that. And then Fleischman is in trouble. Changed my mind. <laughs> right. Well, and you came around to being like, oh yeah, I just don't like Mark Zuckerberg. Right. <laughs> that was more a Zuckerberg problem than a just than an Eisenberg problem. But whereas this is clearly, your I never semester. realized how similar their last names are. Yeah. Funny. Anyway. Whereas like you're supposed to like. You're supposed to like Jason Schwartzman in Rushmore for sure. And he just like makes my skin crawl. So hate Rushmore, but that's, I don't know. That's sort of like a weird outlier. And then I haven't seen Bottle Rocket. Darjeeling Limited is so amazing in parts. And I think it has some of maybe my favorite visuals in an Anderson film. Although it's like, Carl, you and I were talking like two nights ago in bed about how like, problematic and like pretty much outright racist Darjeeling Limited is but I think the the you know fun- all of the stuff around like the child funeral though super problematic is pretty emotionally resonant and works really well um but other than that the movie is just like kind of a snooze and a mess um and then fa- I already said I love Fantastic Mr. Fox so yeah sorry yeah. go ahead but Darjeeling is the last one of his that kind of takes place in reality, kind of. Yeah. But, yeah, we were talking about it. Uh, I had the realization the other night that, oh, every person of color in Darjeeling Limited, a film that takes place in India, for the most part, only exists to literally serve or emotionally... Or, or be an emotional catalyst. Be an emotionally catalyst for the white characters. The for, their, for their personal development. It is wild that that is a movie that was made this century. Yeah, it's not good. It's capital N, G, not Wes good. Anderson yes. is cancelled? Uh, Just are we, kidding. Are we cancelling Wes Anderson? <laughs> sure. Hey, he's he's brought Jeffrey Wright into the fold now. Hong Chow. Oh my god. There are some non-white people in his last few movies. Yeah, and how big of a role have they had in those movies? As big as many other white actors. Okay, I don't think you can say yeah, this I'm, I'm, not, I'm not digging this hole any further here. No. Um, but yeah, okay. But Wes Anderson, for, for me... Yeah, so what has your Wes Anderson like, journey been? So, I... The first thing I ever saw was actually at Grand Budapest Hotel. Wow. I've never seen any of his films. I missed the boat in college. I heard about Moonrise Kingdom and was just sort of like, I don't know. It, seeing just the poster and the people that liked it, like, I, I've tried watching anime. I like, like, Hayao Miyazaki, which is not anime. But just anime aesthetic, like, I see it and my brain just turns off. Mm-hmm. It's like that Black Mirror episode where, uh, you can get deleted from people's eyes and mm-hmm. they can't talk to you anymore. That's what a lot of anime does for me for some reason. And same with like twee bullshit. Oh my gosh. Right? Like Which Moonrise Kingdom is right. twee city. So I just never see this movie. I What does only, that have to do with anime? Just the same it's the same filter in my brain. Oh, yes. as twee stuff. Yes. I see. Yes. Wes Anderson is not very anime at all. Okay. I guess the terribly animated car chase in uh, French Dispatch could kind of be anime, but no. I think it's just bad looking. Let's just forget about that. Yes, let's... Uh, anyway. Um, so, same sort of thing. Just sort of like, I was like, I see this poster, I'm like, yeah, I don't think that's for me. Like, that's fine. Like, glad somebody likes that. I wasn't really 
film conscious at the time either. So I just kind of didn't see it. But then I was vaguely intrigued by, by Grand Budapest. And then I watched it on a plane ride. I watched it the same night on the same plane when I was going to France, which great movie to watch while you're going to France to like, like get prepared to be like a fancy boy for the summer. Definitely. Uh, But I watched that and her back to back. Oof. And it was just sort of like having the best like movie going experience of my life. Were you crying on the plane? Oh yeah, totally. (laughs) I also watched Captain, the other movie I watched was Captain America, the Winter Soldier, which I really thought was a great action movie. and was a great, like, complete swerve away from those other two movies. I have not seen that movie and it kind of doesn't exist to me. You don't need to see it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, You've seen like four other better films. Made by Marvel? No. Made by other people. Okay. That are riffing off on. And you've seen four other better movies made by Marvel. Okay. You can skip it. The time has passed. Got it. Also like then I was like wow these Rousseau brothers they can direct action and not just of the paintball variety from Community. Oh my god. So I was like excited to see that, and now I'm like, oh yeah, they're just casually like, convinced. Community like, is kind of twee. Community is kind of twee, but in the way that Wes Anderson really is. But Moonrise Kingdom, you have to admit, is like dialed up. Oh my to gosh, a lot, right? yeah. And just like the the kids talking to each other like adults, whatever. Like, yeah. Grand Budapest is twee, but like Grand Budapest has like an adventure energy, and Rafe Fine is so over the top. Yeah. Like just. And this kind of gets to my my Wes Anderson thing. Like, okay. So, the two Andersons in Hollywood right now have a similar thing for me. Where... The other being Paul Thomas? Yes. Okay. Where they're the two filmmakers today where I see one of their movies and I just kind of don't know what I think about it for, like, years. Or even maybe, like, even if I watch it again, like, in, in quick succession, like, years. I just... Kind of have to sit with it. We, I've had the, that reaction with um, with Phantom Thread and with There Will Be Blood, where just kind of eventually got dialed into the wavelength of those. And I think one of the secrets to Paul Thomas Anderson is that all of his movies are funny and intended to be funny. But it's something where you watch it for the first time, and if it's not explicitly a comedy, you don't feel like you can laugh because it's so singular and strange. Wes Anderson, the same thing, where he's become so, like, postmodern and high on his own supply of, of just dollhouse bullshit at this point, that everything is, like, three levels of artifice away from reality. How funny would it be? That reminds me of, like, the woman, the lead, Tony Collette's character in Hereditary, who, like, makes the dollhouses. Uh-huh. Maybe Wes Anderson's, like, obsession with all this stuff will lead to some, like, horrible end. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, you know, like, I do think that Ari Oster is, like, one of the only people kind of doing Wes Anderson. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. All right. Much to think about. Go um, ahead. But I think so much of, like, you, you've said it already. Like, mm-hmm. it's the thing. Right. right. And just every one of his movies gets more and more reserved and emotionally distant. Right. And everything is is there to the point where the, the thing that clicked for me about Grand Budapest was like the fourth time I watched it. I realized, oh, this whole thing is about the great love of the narrator's life that is played by Shirsa Ronan most primarily. Um, she's not really in the movie that much. 
But the movie really is about the emotional journey that this character went on with her, the things that they did because of her, and just like the hole that's left in his life that's left by her dying. Her like her presence, absence in the movie, not to get too like up my ass, hashtag liberal arts here, but reminds me a bit of Rebecca. No, reminds me a bit of um, Beatrice, the kind of emotional yes. center of the divine comedy. I thought you were going to say a Liberty Stick. It's a series of unfortunate <laughs> events. I didn't know it was named after that. I don't know that it is. I, it's Liberty Stick. I guarantee you that's the direct illusion. Maybe. I don't know. But anyway, yeah, that's <laughs> this like the presence absence thing is like a very interesting theme of Grand Budapest. I'm like, I'm like giving you credit here. Right. And, and you, and you enjoy Grand Budapest on its surface. Which is like, I love it. Ray Fine is just hilarious. And like, all the pastels, all the like old world Europe stuff. It's just like so beautiful. Yeah. And like just a fun, just a freaking fun movie. Yeah. It's, it's a fun like two hour moves. It is never slow. It's a vibe. But so I'm on board with the like whole thing at this point. But I didn't like Eye of the Dogs. I thought mm-hmm. it was whatever. French Dispatch, same problems. Right. But this one just, I was so apprehensive going in mm-hmm. because of just talking about and it just really worked for you it really worked for me yeah and i we we walked out and alex was like what do you like about it i sort of started talking about themes of of, that i like noticed and responded to and she was like okay you're just like naming things that happened in the movie (laughs) and mapping very clear projections to it like she challenged me to go a little deeper and this isn't spoil i'm gonna be vague enough that i'm not gonna spoil anything here but there's there is like as you mentioned like this meta nesting aspect where it's like it's not a you're not watching a Wes Anderson movie you're watching like a TV broadcast that's like a documentary about the making of a play that is then realized in abstract space I guess and there are at least three like layers of reality within that. yeah very community to your earlier point <laughs> yeah um, but the thing that I really lashed onto with this was. Uh, a lot of the characters, there's a, a traumatic, shocking event that happens in the movie, which often does in a Wes Anderson film. And the, the movie that the emotional tamper of this most reminds me of is a film that I like less than this, uh, which is Steven Spielberg's The Fablemans, where I'm sure I've talked about it on here. And I've just, some, a coworker asked me about The Fablemans the other day, and I just kind of talked their ear off about it. But... I think the Fablemans is the greatest man telling on themselves work of art we've had in a while. Like, it's such a strange movie. Men will make incredibly embarrassing confessional films about the most intimate details of their life instead of going to therapy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, totally. And, and, and it's about, like, it's the, the one movie that's about movies, like from any of these directors of the last few years, that actually is about filmmaking, just in a way that's very strange and sad. And like all over all the movies kind of like you said, like like you say, a mess. That's it. This is similar themes, just it's about how people create things, science or art, as a response to trying to make sense of the world around them and things that happen to them. And there's a scene that's to me, like the whole film in a microcosm where 
a bunch of kids are showing off their art projects in class. That are recreations of the traumatic event. Correct. That happened to everyone. And it's this teacher that's trying to teach a different lesson and all the kids want to do is show off their like little projects that they made that she didn't even assign them. They just had nothing better to do. So they did this and it just really cemented kind of this theme to me of just, this is a film about the drive to create and the drive that I assume Wes Anderson has to create to kind of control his emotions or control the world around him. But also there are many points of, of chaos and deflation throughout the film that show that it's not possible to fully control it either. And I just, I really responded to that and thought it was really cool. And um, I don't mind postmodern narrative choices of like, you know, vaguely glossing over a major climax of, of an event, which happens here. I hate that. I know you do. I don't mind it. Um, you know, I'm, Looking over at uh, my bookshelf filled with the works of David Foster Wallace over here, and uh, he uses that quite a bit. That for those of you at home, uh, Alex gave the most dramatic eye roll. I kind of just did that to get the eye roll out of her. Um, moving on. Moving on. I really emotionally responded to it. I think I will deeply respond to it in the future. Like I said, I have to sit with it for a bit and you know think about what I heard. <laughs> But overall, I also think it's just the most mature work he's made. Maybe period. Just emotionally mature, really just a clear command of a lot of interesting things that I think are human and relatable, like, you know, the pandemic and quarantine and just feeling this like nervous energy of just needing to do something and not being able to do anything. Um, and moreover just the best his stuff has ever looked like i have been thinking about shots from this movie for days and just the the whole thing looks like it's on an old a big old like pinewood studios stage but also looks like real life and there's things that could only be shot using natural light and i have no idea how they did it and it's just a gorgeous looking movie it is i totally agree with that that's like it's it no longer feels like it doesn't feel like like the Barry Lyndon thing of just like a bunch of paintings, which his last few movies have all felt like very, very flat and very just two dimensional space or like forced perspective. Like this has that, but it also feels like there's a real geography to all the sets and to everything that's going on. And just, yeah, really loved it. And I hope that all of you listening have the response that Carl had to the movie and not the one that I had because I love when people love things. So. Okay. <laughs> I do too. And I love talking to you about movies. Aww. So thank you for being on. Yeah. Uh, Aton and I will be back soon. Aton is actually in San Diego welcoming his nephew into the world. So very exciting time for his family. All that said, we'll be back soon, and I'm excited to hear what Aton has been watching, or not watching, because he's been helping out with his family. We'll see. And if there's a film or TV show that we didn't mention that any of you guys have been really enjoying, please like follow Stuck in Development on social media and comment um, what you've been watching. 
because we've just given you a bunch of recommendations, but we'd love some too. So yeah, we're at Stuck in Div Pod. Thank you for plugging. We are terrible at it. <laughs> All right, bye guys. <laughs>